friends, good morning. Welcome, welcome uh, into this warm, uh, comfortable place. It's been a delight over the last few minutes to hear the joy of your conversations with each other. Um, In the midst of reconnecting, saying hi to each other, catching up on the weeks, we do all of this in the presence of God. And friends, it is good to see you today. As we get started for worship today, uh, for those of you who are joining us or visiting, my name is Matthew. Uh, On behalf of our whole congregation, um, welcome. Uh, When we worship together, we do so using a printed liturgy, and also we sing and say things on the screens as well. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. Um, As we get started this morning, as we usually do, there's a couple of important community announcements that I want to highlight for you at the start of our time together. Uh, There's a whole lot of those you can find on this special silver-colored holiday-themed insert in your bulletin if you'd like to know more. Um, But just to put a few of those things in front of you at the start, we have a couple exciting things coming up in the near future. The first is this coming Friday, we have our second lecture in our speaker series called Faith Informing. Reverend Justin Ruddy is going to be joining us from East Boston to talk about spiritual deconstruction. And in a world of people who are uh, letting go of relationships and and resigning from faith and from friendships, what might Christianity have to offer for those of us who are trying to put the pieces back together again? Please do come and join us. These are free. They're open to the public. There will be cookies and snacks. So please come and bring a friend if you would. The other thing I want to highlight for you is that we as a church have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians this fall. We're coming to the end. We won't have time to look at all of the things in depth in this letter, uh, which maybe is a relief. Um, But uh, one of the things in this letter that I think we should spend a little time with that we haven't had a chance to do so so far is some of Paul's words about men and women in church. That comes from 1 Corinthians 11 and 14. Uh, We won't be preaching on that, but I'd like to invite any of you who are interested to join us after worship this morning downstairs in the foundation uh, for a chance to look in kind of a Bible study format together on some of those themes. You're welcome to join us. That starts at 11.05. And there's one more announcement about an upcoming event that I'd like to highlight for you, but to do that, I need to introduce a friend of mine, Joanna, who's going to tell us more. Good morning, everybody. Um, So there is a high school youth group here, um, if you haven't heard already, and what we do is one thing, we go downstairs and we make breakfast and we eat breakfast all together. And we would like to invite you on December 4th, um, starting at 8.30, we would like to invite you to come eat breakfast with us and chat with us, and we would love to hear all of your wisdom. Um, So just come and join. There will be a sign-up at the Fellowship Hall. If if you guys see me, then you can come talk to me, and I can sign you up. So yeah, just we hope you all come, and we'd love to see you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Joanna. Um, And having come here today... Uh, to worship, would you rise in body or in spirit? Let's sing together. Good morning. It's great to see everyone. Friends, the Lord is with you. And also with you. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, 
who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, and the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, and the King of glory may come in. Who is he? King of glory. The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Set free, 
When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, then unless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, but the thing things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the way that made it. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. King of endless world, no one could much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the way We confess to you, gracious God, that too often we look to your law as a burden and not a gift, an inconvenience, not a blessing. Rather than seeing your love revealed, we feel our own guilt magnified. Instead of rejoicing in your good news, we focus on our own shortcomings. Turn us around, Redeemer. Do not let our fears have dominion over us. Enlighten us so that our words and deeds may be acceptable to you. I'd now like uh, a time to take a silent confession.
in spite of our inequities. God has called us together to be Christ's body, and each one of us is indispensable. God remembers us, giving each of us distinct gifts, equipping each of us to provide guidance and accountability to one another. That we all be faithful followers of Christ. We are all greater as one body than any single member I'd now like to invite Phil and the other deacons to come up for our offering. Phil is going to speak a little bit about piece of bread. Good morning. My name's Phil. I'm one of the deacons here at Pleasant Street. Today we have two offerings. The first is for the ministries of Pleasant Street, and the second is a new one that we added this year, which is for piece of bread. Piece of Bread is an NAC program that's run out of the Presbyterian Church on Cottage Street. And every Wednesday night, they open their doors and they provide a meal for anyone in need. Um, all the churches that are part of the NAC take turns hosting that and cooking the meal. Their costs have increased due to COVID and the deacons have helped them out a few times. And we wanted to allow the congregation to help them out as well. So our second offering today is for piece of bread. Could you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for how richly you've blessed us. Thank you for all the things that we have. And as you've blessed us so richly, may we give back to you just a small token of those blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.
at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for this who for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The Lord is close to the, the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all of his foes, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Congregation, I invite you now to rise as we continue with this song. Christ is with you. Let's share this peace of Christ with our neighbors. I'd like to invite any Kid Street kids we have. 
This is uh, kids ages four to second grade. They're invited to come up and be dismissed for Kids Street. <coughs> People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. My good friends, Jesus, good morning. Um, and, uh, my name is Chuck McGrath, and uh, for those that don't know me, I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street, Pleasant Street Church. Uh, it is my honor this morning to lead us in prayer. Uh, we join our hearts and voices to offer prayers to God. Hear these words from Romans 8, 26 through 27. Let's say, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs of too deep for, for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let us join in prayer, offering our praise, thanksgiving, and intercession to God. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we gather here this morning to worship you. We thank you for your great gifts of this church community and all the people who have been touched by your grace here. Keep us from our purely self-serving behavior and stir us to serve those people who are most in need of your mercy. Bless our congregation as we move forward with the elders and deacon nominations. We ask that you move the hearts of those asked to serve your people in love. Help us to make the right decisions so that our community may be a font of life for many generations to come. We pray for the council and the leaders. Bless their lives and their service. Energize their souls. Grant them the desire to grow in faith and inspire others. Oh God, change and strengthen our faith. Weed out what is soft and shallow. Grow in us faith rich in nutrients, resistant to periods of drought and pests, faith that bears fruit in good times and in bad times. Lord, we thank you for this church, built through the service of our ancestors in faith. May our worship be genuine and sincere. May the ministries that flow out of this place lift up people in your name. And despite all our efforts, may we never forget that we are saved by grace alone. Gracious God, we thank you this morning for the gifts of this church community and all the people who are active here in various ministries and roles. Give of their time and talents and treasures. We thank you for cadets and gems and high school and middle school youth groups and the leaders who have provide, provided for them. We ask that you bless them and grow your church through them, Lord. Lord, we remember the treasures that we have been given to us, our families, our closest friends, our neighbors, our church, and the wealth of this land that provides for our needs. You give us life and all that we need. Thank you, Lord. Lord, this week, 
Before Thanksgiving, we remember those who have walked the journey of life before us. We remember how they influenced our lives and shaped our character and enabled us to become the people we are. You give us all good things. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, this morning we remember our brothers and sisters who are living with cancer. Cindy H., Hank E., Karen S., my father. We pray for those recovering from COVID at this time. We pray for those who mourn and grieve for the loss of loved ones at this time. We pray for them along with all those who live in retirement communities. May they always feel our love and embrace. Let us pray for our church community and all those among us who are struggling with major challenges in their life. We think of Carol L. Lord, with them this very moment and give them the strength they need, Lord have mercy on them. Let us pray for those who are traveling and enjoying recreation, for those gathering here and those absent, and though through our joy we bring joy to the world. Oh God, we thank you for those who have found a new spiritual home here at Pleasant Street Church. Continue to bless them in their life, in their life's journey. Nourish their souls and be a light on their path. May their lives be enriched through ministries and community. May they each give their gifts in your service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of rest and this opportunity to restore our souls. Strengthen our desire to keep your day holy and help us to resist the urge to be busy at all times. Lord, our God, we thank you for the moments of revelation and insight. Let us be patient during all other times when we don't hear your voice so clearly and seem to lose sight of our call. Let us be faithful during these times. May we be given faith to know that you give us all we need at the time when we need it. As it is said in Mark 11:13, when you are arrested and judged, don't worry ahead of time about what you will say. Say whatever is given to you at that time because it will not really be you speaking. It will be the Holy Spirit. Help us to know that you are always with us, using us to do your work, loving us. Oh God, this is what we long for. We ask a blessing on this morning's sermon. Open our ears that we may hear your word and be blessed by it. For your love and goodness, we give you thanks, O oh God. Lord, in mercy, hear our prayer. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Now about the gifts of the spirits, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one is speaking by the spirit. No one speaking by the spirit of God says, "Jesus be cursed," and no one can say, "Jesus is Lord," except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. 
There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everything, it is the same God at work. Now, to each of you, now to each one, the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. When, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you as a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everyone, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what, it, what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all congregations of the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, good morning. Good to see you. We're coming to the end of our time in 1 Corinthians. Uh, as before we get started, would you join me in a prayer? Lord Jesus, gathered in this place amidst uh, the conversation of how the week is gone, Amidst the sharing of pain and disappointments and grief, amidst the sounds and joy of small children, we add to all of these voices Paul's voice echoing and ringing through this room. And we ask, O God, that as you move through these conversations that we have heard and given and received already, that you, by your Spirit, would come and take these words of Paul and that they would, you would make them a conversation for us. You would take this conversation happening a long time ago to a church in a faraway place and make it also something that we can participate in. We believe that you can do this and infinitely more than we could even ask or imagine. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you were to walk through my neighborhood on a Saturday morning in the summer, you would probably hear the sounds of a swimming competition. You would probably hear an announcer calling out events and results of past events, his muffled voice echoing through the oak trees and bouncing off suburban homes. You would no doubt hear the liturgy of the starter saying over and over again, take your mark, get set, and then the pop of the starting gun. You'd hear the laughter and the cheering of friends and teammates and parents as well in the midst of all of this competition. But if you arrived early enough on those Saturday mornings, you would hear something else too. You would hear the team cheers of rival clubs. Just before the start of a swim meet in that neighborhood in the summer on Saturdays, the whole team would gather in a group, six-year-olds all the way up through seniors in high school, and usually the oldest high schoolers would stand on a chair or a table, and they would lead the group in a team cheer. Some of them, maybe not appropriate for this setting. But there is one of those cheers that I think is very appropriate. It goes like this. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? To which the opposing team gathered in their end of the pool on the other end of the field would echo back the call, We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And the volley would pass back to the first team who would repeat the chant, but louder with greater fervor, stirring it up higher and then hurling the chant back across the pool to the other team and back and forth until both the teams crescendoed into a refrain saying, we've got more, we've got more, we've got more, we've got more. And it's funny because I have not heard that chant for years until this week when I heard it in Corinthians. Reading 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, it was almost as though I could hear the rival cheers of Team Apollos and Team Paul and Team Cephas, Team Prophecy, Team Tongues. Factions in Corinth all shouting over each other during a worship service which had become something more of a competition. We've got the Spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the Spirit more than you. Church worship in Corinth sounds like it was really vibrant maybe even just worth the price of admission. Paul tells us about all these different kinds of gifts and kinds of spiritual manifestations happening in Corinth, Corinthian worship. It must have really been something. If you just look at these, these verses here in chapter 12 and 13 and 14, we get a glimpse of what a Sunday may have been like. People are hearing the good news of Jesus proclaimed with immense wisdom and competency, and knowledge, and they're, they're learning about how to live in the world, and they're learning about God. 
They're prophesying. In prophecy, Paul is not so much referring to a church of people who are predicting future events or the end of the world or election results. He is imagining a church in which people are taking the Scriptures and discerning the core of those messages and also seeing to the heart of the people gathered in front of them and they're finding a way to intersect the two. You could call it preaching, but it's more than that because preaching is something that one person does. In Corinth, it seems to be the case that the whole church is participating in this prophecy, in speaking the gospel to each other in a way that builds up hope and faith. Speaking of faith, in Corinthian worship, it seems like it was a regular occurrence that the smoldering coals of faith are fanned into flames so that people begin to see the spiritual mountains in their lives as opportunities for growth and not just a hill to climb. During worship, people are getting healed. They are experiencing the miraculous. And in Corinth, people are having deeply personal encounters with God in worship. They are speaking in in tongues, a kind of private and unknown prayer language. And Paul says in verse 7, astoundingly, that these manifestations of the Spirit are scattered throughout the whole church. Not everyone has every gift. But each and every person is participating in all of this collectively gifted worship. And he says it again in chapter 14, verse 26. Everybody has a hymn or a word or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. Everybody is participating in this. Worship in Corinth is spiritually vibrant, but somehow it has also become a show. People with dramatic spiritual experiences or gifts are are all demonstrating those gifts. And and it's like they're elbowing each other for stage light. And this, perhaps not surprisingly, has led to a related problem, which is that church worship has become chaotic. The end result is that worship has become a place where people are are manifesting their spiritual gifts and they're watching others manifest theirs. And, And it's though that the community has become for the demonstration of gifts as opposed to the other way around. And all of this in an effort to to prove to each other that I have the Spirit. Yes, I do. I have the Spirit more than you. You have the Spirit, Paul says. Yes, you do. You have the Spirit. But remember, my friends, it's not about you. Everyone wants to know if this God thing is real. And for Christians, the stakes are a lot higher than that. Christianity does not proclaim that God is not dead. Christianity is not content to say that God is just alive or that God is real. Christianity says that God speaks. Christianity declares that God moves, that God acts, 
that God sees and God knows and God renews and God reveals and God restores and God recreates. Christianity declares that God is not only real, but that God is the realest thing there is and that God comes near. Christians believe and proclaim that God can be met, that God can be known, and if met, and if known, then experienced and loved. The Corinthians want to experience more of God in their worship life. They want to know all about manifestations of the presence and the power of God in their church. They are the ones who probably brought this up to Paul, and Paul is responding to their request to know more. Paul wants this for them too. But Paul needs to caution and correct them. Because for the Corinthians, they had started to believe that somehow for an experience of God to be real, it has to be dramatic. The Corinthians have all the gifts, but they have become particularly fond of dramatic or public gifts like tongues. Paul is not trying to stamp out or tamp down spiritual experiences. Paul instead wants to broaden their view as to what counts as the work of the Spirit. Paul doesn't say that what you are experiencing is not real or it's suspect or you should question it. He says that the experience of God is bigger than even you realize. There are different kinds of gifts, Paul says, but they all come from the same Spirit. There are also different kinds of service. There are also different kinds of community jobs in the life of a church. And all of those things are empowered by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. Paul is saying, remember everybody that spiritual life does not have to be spectacular or dramatic to be the work of God. Sometimes... Donating your time to clean a church bathroom or a kitchen is a far more spiritual act than anything we do up here. So, Paul says, the work of the Spirit is deeply personal. It is transformative. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's public. And it's always performed, revealed, given in ways that lead to order and to other-centered worship. And this highlights for us the other problem with their understanding of spiritual experience. They have started to think that for an experience of God to be real, it has to be spontaneous. They have people speaking in tongues and they have people speaking a word from the Lord. Everybody's got a hymn or a revelation, something to say. They're all doing it at the same time. As if if something has come to my attention, it can only be spiritual if I immediately start sharing it. And what's happened is that everyone is talking and no one is listening. And Paul says, whoa, guys, the whole point of all these gifts and worship and these manifestations is that you would all know God. But if you're all talking at the same time, how can anyone know anything, much less hear yourself think? This is Paul's problem with tongues, right? It's not that tongues are bad or a false sign from God. No, Paul says, actually, 
I speak in tongues more than all of you. But I would rather speak five words in a coherent sentence than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because tongues builds up your own private faith. It builds up the faith of the one speaking, reminding you that God loves you and he is really working in your life. But prophecy builds up the entire community, telling everyone that God is working in your midst and building up your community life. Somehow the church in Corinth, hungry for more spiritual reality and more spiritual experiences, come to think that the work of the Spirit cannot be scripted. That if it's going to be God's work, it has to happen immediately and spontaneously. It has to be emotionally dramatic and expressive, or it's not real. Sometimes it is, Paul says. But it also reminds me of the story of the pastor, maybe you've heard it, the one who didn't like to write his sermons down because he wanted to hear a fresh word from God during the church service. Well, on one particular Sunday, he is waiting, he's waiting, nothing, sermon's getting closer, nothing, time for the sermon, and he stands up and the word comes to him, the Spirit would have spoken to you on Monday too. Chapter 12 through 14 is one long response to the issues of spiritual gifts and worship. We looked at 13 yesterday, but we look at the broader issue here today, right? And at the end of chapter 14, after all this long response, weaving things together, Paul tells us why all of this matters. He says, because we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. And God is not a God of disorder and chaos, but peace. And if in Corinth worship has become chaotic and competitive and full of preening self-assertion, well, you have to wonder what God they're worshiping. Christians believe and proclaim that God can be met and known, and if met, and if known, then experienced and loved. Everyone wants to know that they have really met God, that they have been changed. And if we bring this down to today, to the West, to the churches that we have, I suppose that generally you could say we have pursued answering these questions in two kinds of ways, and maybe you could generally, just bear with me for a second here as I make a gross generalization, group our churches into two kind of categories. Some churches are extremely expressive. They work through music and words and visuals and preaching to stir up faith, to create emotionally expressive, engaged responses. They want to experience God's presence, His work, and His Spirit. You also have other churches that are extremely formational, they work through music and words, visuals, preaching to conform our thoughts, hearts, minds to the truth of tested Christian conviction and doctrine. One kind of church we would say is freeform. The other formal and structured, but the reality is that both of them have a script. A script sometimes we bring to God. In emotionally expressive churches, they look at revivals, great things that God has done in the past, and they say, well, if we just pray the right way, if we just sing the right songs, 
if we just get enough holiness going in the church, then God will come. But formal, formative churches have a script too. They believe that if we just say the right things, and if we don't say any of the wrong things, if we hold the tradition up faithfully enough, then God will come. And of course, this matters because, as Paul says, we become like what we worship. If we worship a God who only works in dramatic experiences, then the presence of God gets tied to the sincerity and the vibrancy and the fervor of our own emotional expression. And the consequence is that we wind up creating inner circles of spiritual superheroes who have all the gifts that we wish we were supposed to have. And it blinds us to the diversity of spiritual gifts, both public and private. It blinds us to the work of the Spirit happening quietly among us even now. If we worship a God who expects precision of language and doctrinal truth, the presence of God becomes tied to the correctness of our confession. The consequence is that we forget that it matters if I believe it, not just that it's true. The consequence is that it can lead to moral superiority and self-righteousness. It blinds us to the gifts of other kinds of churches. We wind up arguing with each other about the way it has to be. We do not realize that we are waving a script in God's face that is only as big as our experience. And that is a very small God indeed. That is until God moves outside the script. Everyone wants to know that they have met God and that they have really been changed. The surest sign of this sometimes is surprise. I love a story told by Philip Jenkins, who's a scholar at Penn State. He has spent his whole career studying global Christianity. And one time he was telling this story about spiritual vibrancy in a non-Western church. And the story goes like this. He was visiting a congregation in a part of Africa. I don't remember the country. But he is visiting a Roman Catholic church. And in Catholic churches, one of the things that they all do every time they gather for worship is they celebrate the what? The Mass. That's right. And like in all other Catholic churches, everywhere for thousands of years, this congregation in Africa was about to celebrate the Mass. And at the start of that, there is a formal part of the liturgy that happens with the same exact words Every single time the elements of bread and wine are presented and prayed over, it's formal, it's rote, it's scripted, it is rehearsed, it is said over and over again. Well, on this particular Sunday, the priest presented the element and people spontaneously started getting healed. Which is it? Which script does that belong to? What I love about that story is that God showed up in a dramatic and vibrant way in that church 
And how did they know it was God? It came as a surprise. Which is, I think, what Paul is trying to nurture in all of us. Churches are always both expressive and formative. Churches are always confessing and proclaiming. The sign of God's work and presence, though, is not just an expression of truth or the praise of truth. It is always both. And it is the Holy Spirit that brings both together until the Apostles' Creed becomes our heart's cry of praise. The Lord is the one that does these things in worship, but they're not a script, my friends. Paul does not give us a script. Instead, he gives us a signature. The signature of God's work, which seems to be surprise. How do we know when God is in our midst? Paul says, it's not when you have a great praise session. And it's not synonymous with hearing all the right things in a liturgy or a sermon. It's not because the music was great or if it was one particular style or tempo or language or era, but it's because we have been cut to the heart by the power and presence of God. Paul says the surest sign of God's presence among you is the surprising realization that you are a sinner and that Jesus really is who he says he is, which is Lord. How do you know when you have met God? Paul says people fall down. No, not literally. Although maybe, does he mean kneeling? Does he mean falling down in the spirit? Maybe it's both, I don't know. But what he means is in their hearts. People fall down in their hearts, their desires, their opinions, their hopes, their fears, all fall down. Paul says when you are in church and people are prophesying and, and inquires, people who don't yet know anything about what is going on here, when they come into church, they will hear you speaking to the heart of each other. They will hear you trying to apply the scriptures to each other's lives and hope and faith and their own hearts will be revealed and they will see that they are sinners and they will say, God is really among you. This is the surest signature of God's presence. It is the surprise of finding that this group of ragtag misfits, this disagreeable, odd aggregate of people is in fact collectively revealing the presence of God to each other and to people who don't yet know him. And that God himself is not only present in the world, but changing people changing people, making us more than we seem, taking cowards and selfish competitive people and turning them into a family who seeks each other's good at our own expense, taking foreigners and exiles and slaves and turning them into daughters and sons of people who bear God's own name and image to the world around us, People who grew up confessing Caesar is Lord. My own desires are Lord. My people group is Lord. My family is Lord. Who are now saying that a crucified Jew from Palestine is Lord. When this happens, Paul says, you will see and remember that God is among you. And you will be surprised. Which is, of course, exactly what happened to all of them when they came to church, too. 
This whole section from chapter 12 to 14 is all one big response to the same issue. And if you look at those very first verses in 12 and where it ends in chapter 14, you see that they go together. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, do you remember what it was like the first time you came to church? You thought it was all a bunch of hooey. You were following idols. You were chasing your career. You were resting on the laurels of your family's name. You were seeking worth in your own bank account or your resume, your children's success, your experiences of pleasure. And Jesus looked ridiculous to you because you were already spiritually committed. But, on, but then one day, all of a sudden, Jesus didn't look ridiculous anymore. One day, you knew it was true. And you saw how foolish you had been, and you wept, and you cast down your idols, and you grieved over what you had done with the name of the living God. And that was the sweetest, most beautiful wound you had ever received. And that, Paul says, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know the power of God, remember that. And remember it when each time someone new walks into the sanctuary thinking that this is all a bunch of hooey and prepare to be surprised. Friends, please don't miss it. Paul is saying that the power and presence of God is known when we see our sins and when we fall down in worship. Flores was a woman who started coming around church because a friend had died and suddenly her fancy tech career didn't seem to matter very much. She had grown up Catholic in another country, but she wasn't sure about all of this formal religion stuff. Well, she started coming to church, and she asked the most wonderful questions. She did not really know the stories in the Bible. We had a chance to talk together about some of those stories for the very first time. She got to hear the parable of the prodigal son from Luke 15, which she had never heard. She could see that there was something here, but she didn't quite get it. We all wondered together, what is going to be the thing that does it? Is it going to be a sermon? Will it be a song that we sang? Would it be our non-confrontational fellowship that was friendly after worship? She kept coming, but nothing, nothing. And then one Sunday, she was sitting in church with us, and after the service, she came up to me, and her face was full of the surprise that had every signature of God's work on it. And I asked her what happened, and she said it was the worship. And I asked her when, and was it the call to worship printed formally in the bulletin? Was it the songs that expressed eloquently our hopes and the glory of God and our praises? Was it my sermon? Please let it be the sermon. It was not the sermon. It was not the formal call to worship. It was not the expressive songs. No, she said. It was the confession of sin. I'm sorry, what? Apparently, I had a script. Apparently, I had a script. It was the what? 
It was the confession of sin, she said. On that particular day, it was one line printed in the liturgy. We said it together badly. It was something Jesus said in John. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you. And with wonder on her face, she said to me, I forgot. (laughs) Which is the most surprising and beautiful thing that any of us could realize That while we were going on our merry lives, thinking only of ourselves, while we were dead in our sins and none the wiser, while we were lost in our own small world, happily believing we're king and queen of our own castle, we forgot. We forgot. We forgot God. And the most surprising, wonderful, devastating, convicting, reviving news we could hear is that God remembers. God remembers everything. And this is why Christ died a beggar and a fool for us. How do we know that the experience of God is real and that he has changed us? Friends, remember that once upon a time we would have called anything God. And now, we see that Jesus, of all people, is Lord. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in you and in this church. You know, it might be that tomorrow, someone asks you what you did this weekend. You could say lots of things about church, if you said anything at all. You could try hard to express all the difficult argument I have tried to express to you now from Paul, or you could simply tell them about how we are all learning in the power of the Holy Spirit to fall down. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, with Paul, we are finding our way back to the heart of worship and finding that it really is all about you. We are sorry, Lord, for the thing that we've made it when in fact it was only and always all about you, Jesus. Help us by your Spirit to put down whatever it is we are holding in our hands. Turn them up and receive you. We receive these things together, which is one of our values as a congregation we've been talking about, receiving Christ's word. It's this posture that we want to embody together as a church. This is, this is a posture of taking something given to you, but it's also a posture of something precious. And as we try to make sense of God and his work and word for us, we do this together. 
not just individually. One of the ways that we get to do that is with our third through fifth grade students and some of our church leaders who have a chance to go downstairs and talk about what they're hearing and learning of worship. I'd love to invite any or all of our ECHO students, third through fifth graders, come up. We have a blessing for you. How are you doing, Ben? Good. All right, guys, I'll sit with you down here. So remember, we have a part that we actually say together. I'll let you know when it is. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. This is us. Ready? Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. We continue our response to God together by singing. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit? Let's sing.
sisters, as those being brought from darkness into light, would you join me in declaring in praise and confession the creed of our faith? Together, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, Brothers and sisters, as people who believe in the power of the Spirit, as people on whom the Spirit rests, I would invite you to lift your eyes, open your hands, and receive God's promise to be with you wherever you go this week. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing. Oh, 
to love and serve Jesus Christ.